We have been journeying through a topical study and looking at what it means to go for the gold. And as the Olympics have come and gone now, we have uh, we put a wrap on our series of messages today. But I want to ask a question, and I want to bring it back to the church. And I want to ask this question, and before you quickly answer it in your minds, think deeply on this, okay? Who is the most valuable person at Grace Point? All right? Think about the most valuable person at Grace Point. You might think, oh, it's quickly, it's that person who gives the most. You might say, it's you, the lead pastor. You might say, no, it's the children's pastor because so many people come in with their children and the children are so important. And you, know, you, could, you could probably talk yourself into a number of directions. But I just want you to hold that question there and let it linger there for a little bit. And now I want to ask you another question on a different topic. Same question, different different area, different sphere. And I want you to tell, raise your hand if when I mention one of these names, you're going to raise your hand, you're going to keep your hand raised because I, ultimately after I ask you about these names, I want to see how many people know or know these people, all right? So just raise your hand whenever I mention a name that you know. Asaf Powell, raise your hand. Anybody? All right. Uh, what about Kemar Bailey Cole? Anybody know know that name? I don't see anybody. What about Johan Blake? Anybody? We have a few. Okay, got one there. I got two. All right. There's a few of y'all. More knew that name. Uh, Usain Bolt. All right. Everyone raises their hand on that one. All right. So now I want to ask you a question because these are the four names of the four guys that run the 100 meter relays that got the gold medal clearly, easily. It looked like very easily uh, for Jamaica. But now, which of these four are the most important of the four relay runners? All right? Think about that before you answer that one too quickly, because you might quickly go to Usain Bolt is because he's just a phenomenal person, and a person I can't even understand. I just, you know, you'd like to capture his genes, okay, and, and be able to reproduce that. I mean, he's, he's the only guy I can know that can beat somebody in the 100-yard dash, smiling, laughing at the next guy uh, next to him and as, as he blows past you or as he makes a mockery of everyone else in the world that's running the same, the best of the best of the best, but yet Usain Bolt is in a cow all of his own. Now, you might quickly go to Usain Bolt, but here's the reality. If you're running a relay race, the first person with a baton, if he jumps the gun, the game's over. If he runs and he gets out of his lane, the game's over. If he runs and doesn't hand it off to number two, and number two doesn't hand it off to number three, and number three doesn't hand it off to number four, in a correct manner, an efficient manner, I don't care if you're Usain Bolt, you're not going to win. So you cannot say in a 100-meter in a, in a relay race who is the most important. You can say who is the most visible, and that's what I want to distinguish between today. Who is the most visible is not necessarily the one who's the most important. And we're trying to distinguish between that because I, I don't want you to look up here and say, well, Mike, you are this, or, or, or look at the band. Let's, let's take this band, for example. Who is the most important person in the band? You might easily say it's Andrew because Andrew picks the music. He kind of picks the sets. He kind of designs all of that. You might, you might think it's Andrew. He's the most important. No, he's the most visible. 
But you can look around the, 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 the band and, and, and those that were on the stage and you say, okay, it's the girls because they actually brought some beauty to the stage. Otherwise, there's a macho man group up here, all right? So, you know, you could say it's them. The, the girls are the ones who are the most, most valuable. You could easily look at the band and say, okay, well, it's one of these back here. They're, they're, they got all the knobs and the buttons and you'd, you'd have to go to Matt McCaslin because this guy builds things for us every week. He gets all the music and runs it together. He builds click tracks. I don't even know what those things are, but I've been told they're important. And so he does all this kind of back, back behind the scenes stuff to make sure things that flow well together. You might say, well, it's Matt, it's Matt McCaslin. Or, or you might say, it's Rob Ford over here. I was watching him during the worship service and he was just over here just picking one string of the guitar in one of those songs. And I thought, that's very unique. That's all you're doing is just one. These are the kinds of things you think about whenever you're in a worship service. Or I think about, maybe not you. And so uh, he's, he's playing this one string. I think, can I even hear that one string? And I could. I could pick up that one string once I saw him playing that one string. But I can tell you right now that you talk to anybody and they'll say the percussion, they got to have drums, you got to have a beat, you got to have that, that. So really, who's the most important? It's not who is the most important. Let's not confuse the two. It's not that who's the most, most visible that means the most important. Because every single one of these up here are important players in the grand scheme of things. And let me just say this. If you call Grace Point your home, if you are a covenant member of Grace Point Church, you don't need to look at anybody who is the most visible and say that they are the most important because every single one who names Grace Point Church as their family, their faith family, I will tell you this, and I'm not just blowing smoke your way, that you are a part of being the most important part of making and helping this church become and do and be what we were called to become and be and do. Now, whenever you look at Paul's writings, he didn't use symphony or a band. He didn't use a 100-meter relay metaphor. He actually used the body. He uses it in just about every one of his books, but he refers to the body as if it's the whole, and not one part is more important than the other. Let me read Romans chapter 12, verse 4 to 6, and, and this is in the Living Bible, so it's a paraphrase, but you'll get the point. Uh, just as there are many parts of our bodies... So it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of it. And it takes every one of us to make it complete. Let me just pause right there. If you've been to our North Point new members class, if you've been a part of becoming a covenant member of this church, you've heard me make this statement. That you do not join a church because it's a convenience and a choice. You, it is a commitment and a calling that God places you here. Otherwise, I will say this with love in my heart and sincerity in my, in my voice, and I will say, listen, it, don't, don't be a part of Grace Point. But if God has called you here, you help make us complete. For we, for we each have different work to do, so we belong to each other, and each needs all of the others. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things. Every single one of us in this room that calls this faith family your faith family, you have a part to play in it. You are not here by accident. You are here by calling. You are not here by convenience. You are here because God appointed you to be here for this time. So that's why we have this little motto that floats around here every now and then. Every member is a minister. And every ministry is meaningful. 
We're not going to ask you to give of your time, talents, and treasures to anything that does not have meaning to it. But we also at the same time want you to see and realize that you have an important part to play in the grand scheme of things. You are here to complete us, all right? Hang on to that thought because you go back. We've been talking about crowns. We've been talking about winning crowns. We've been talking about going for the gold. We've been talking about all that kind of stuff. Now, that all fits into a grand scheme. Last week, we talked about uh, how we talked about bringing people into the faith and how that is this crown that we, crown of exaltation, Paul talks about it in Thessalonians, Paul talks about it in Philippians, about the people that he brought to faith in Christ. They're his crown, and he is going to present those crowns before Jesus and lay those crowns at Jesus' feet. That's why it's so important that we all be investing in people far from God, that we might help bring them closer to God so that they may connect with God, and that is a part of our rejoicing. But this week I want to talk about how every one of us is to help bring up people in the faith. It's not just bring people to the faith, but it's to bring them up in the faith, help them grow in the faith. Hey, hold Mike. We've been talking about crowns. We've been talking about me getting all my crowns that I can get, me, myself, and I. Well, if you remember last week, last week we talked about that's easy street Christians, okay? We moved off easy street last week, and we are now on a different street we're now into disco- we're down into uh, uncomfortable street. I'm not trying to say that. We're we're now into challenge street. Whatever street you want to call it, it's not easy street. And if you want to go back and re-listen to the the messages of this series, you might want to just download our app. We got about 20, actually over 2,000 people have downloaded our app since we launched it a couple of months ago. And so you can download it. You can watch all the worship. You can watch all the messages. You can relive it and kind of re uh, retake notes on it. There's Tons of information on there. You can sign up for everything on there. But in there, you will have the five messages that, we, that I've shared on, on these lines. And each one of those messages has a different rule, if you will, of going for the gold. Now, here, let's just re- quickly review them. We've talked about how we need to run a faith with intentional intensity. All right? It's not a waltz. It's not a, it's not a slumber. It, 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 it's, it's not sleepwalking. It's running. All right, and there's an intensity about that. If you're not running, you're not in the faith race like you need to be. So up the cardio and get, get, a, get a good sweat on, okay? Substantive significance, that you're literally going to be a part of people's lives. Your faith's going to be so changed that there's going to be substance behind your faith. There's going to be not just words, not just ideas, not just uh, not not just the, this this I, 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 I excuse me uh, this uh, this idea of following Christ, but you're literally going to have substance behind it. And then also an enduring perseverance. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be times you're going to throw in the towel. There are going to be times you're going to give up on God. There's going to be times you're going to feel like God gave up on you. Don't stop. Keep enduring and persevering. Each one of those has a crown that we, that we referred to. Now, on those same lines, now this, the, the last two crowns, running with valuing that every soul has an eternal destiny, that we're going to value everyone's soul. And this week we're going to talk about influencing their souls, influencing their faith, growing up their faith. And that's kind of where we're aiming at this week. But again, for those who are just joining us, we've been talking about this metaphor of a Stephanophos. All right? Stephanos is this Greek word. It's mentioned 18 times in the New Testament. It's mentioned in most of the Bible and most of the New Testament. 
Many of the books, Luke and the writer of Hebrews are the only two writers who do not employ the word or use the word Stephanos. That's significant because I'm trying to say there is a theme that runs from the beginning to the end of of the New Testament that is dealing with this concept of a crown. So we got to dive into it. We need to understand what it, what it means and what it's about. And really, whenever you get outside the Gospels, because most of the time in the Gospels it's referring to Jesus' crown of thorns, but when you get outside the Gospels, you find it talking about you and I receiving crowns. Because here's a life principle for you. I said it in the very beginning. I want to say it to you again, that we reward what we value and we value what we reward. You reward your kids because they bring home good grades. You reward your kids because, why, why do you do that? Because you value good grades. You reward your kids because they clean up their room. They made their bed. Whatever it is, that they, the, the chores that they're supposed to do. Why do you reward them? You reward them. It could be just an boy. Don't mean you have to pay him for it every time. Uh, it, it could be a high five. It could, it could be any, anything like that. So kids, get that money dollar out of your, out of your head. But, uh, but the whole idea is that we're going to honor what we value, and we're going to value what we honor. Well, so does God. If he honors a persevering faith, if he honors a running faith, he honors a faith that brings other people to Jesus and he helps other people grow up in the faith, then he's going to reward that. And so we come to the book of First Peter. If you haven't, be finding it, First Peter. And we've read from James, we've read from Paul, we've read from John, we've read from all these guys who use the word Stephanos. Now we want to read from Peter in the time that he uses it. Now, before we go into this, this is a passage that deals a lot with the polity of a church, okay, the structure of a church. And you can get a lot from that, okay? But we're not going to be talking about that, okay? We're not going to dive into church polity. Though there's a lot in here. It talks about elders. It talks about, it talks about uh, uh, shepherds. It talks about that kind of overseeing of the body of Christ and, and, and so forth. And uh, a lot of people will say this, I want to be a part of a church that's like a New Testament, governed like a New Testament church. Well, the problem is, is are you talking about the Baptist version of that, the Methodist version of that, the Catholic version of that? Because everyone thinks that they've got it figured out, all right? And the reality is when you go to the New Testament, it gives a lot of wiggle room. It doesn't give us a whole lot of, 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 of structure. In fact, when you dive back into the history of how the church was structured and functioned, it drew a lot of its concepts from the Jewish synagogue and how it was uh, structured and overseen. And it draws a lot from the Greco-Roman world. So in essence, the way the church functioned was drew its ideas from pagan Rome and from unbelieving Jews. And so it's not exactly like God dropped from heaven the way a church is supposed to function. Uh, But when you dive into this, we're not going to deal with the form today of the church. We're going to deal with the function. Because you might be sitting there going, okay, he's going to be talking about polity and all that kind of stuff. No, hang on to that. Hang on to that thought. Because I want to talk about how every single one of us are shepherds. Every single one of us are influencers in the faith. Every single one of us. And so let's read this passage. Do, give, me, give me the time to read this passage and then we'll break it down. Uh, verse 1 says, So I exhort the elders, okay? I'm not an elder. No, not, not talking to me. Well, yeah, okay, it's talking to the elders of the church. But yes, at the same time, it's talking to those who are spiritually mature among you as a fellow elder. So an elder to elder or a mature person to a mature person as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now here's the imperative verb that he gives us. 
Shepherd the flock of God. So if you want to get the main idea of this entire passage, circle that phrase. Shepherd the flock of God. Influence. You're going to hear me use those words, influence and shepherd. Shepherd and influence interchangeably, okay? Hang on to that concept. We'll come back to it. That is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not a shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those who are in in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading Stephanos of glory, crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, so it's not just the youngers, it's the olders. Everyone. Clothe yourself in humility, with all with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Notice how many times it says humility and humble, humble, and submit yourselves and so forth. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. As we dive into this passage, you may say, okay, Mike, again, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not an elder. Yes, you are. You may not be in that official church polity voted in whatever by the church kind of shepherd or or influencer, but yes, you are. If you lead a communitas group or open up your home to a communitas group to come in to do even just the 13-week study through Experiencing God that we're going to be doing in the fall in October, then you are an influencer. You are a shepherd. Whether you like it or not, I know it's a a little bit intimidating. If you are a parent, guess what? You're an influencer. You're a shepherd. You're impacting the future generations of our church, of our community, of uh, of the world. If you are a practicing believer, now emphasis on the word practicing, believer, in the cubicle at your work, and somebody in the next cubicle or shares a cubicle with you is an unbeliever, guess what? You're a shepherd. You're an influencer for the faith in their life. If you have neighbors that you know and you actually know their names and you actually talk to them, guess what? You're a shepherd. You're an influencer to them. If you work in our, any of our next generation ministries, whether it's We World, Kid Nation, Kindle, Fusion, Forge, guess what? You're a shepherd. You're an influencer to the next generation. If you're married, yes, even if you're married, you're a shepherd. You're an influencer to your spouse. So what does it mean? What does it take to be an influencer in this world? So get off the word shepherd if the shepherd doesn't doesn't strike your court. Get off the word shepherd. I know we don't live in an agrarian culture, so we don't think about sheep herding or goat herding in, in northwest Arkansas so much. Think about influencer. You're an influencer. You're influencing other people in the faith. What does that look like? I think there's three postures from this passage of Scripture that we need to have. If we're going to be a healthy influencer, number one, we need to care boldly. Care boldly. All right? Now, notice what he said here. He, the very first, the, the overarching command, the overarching instruction is this, shepherd the flock of God. And then he comes right behind that, exercising oversight. Exercise. He tells us how to do it. Exercising oversight. That sounds like a power play, right? That sounds like a position of power. It's not. 
It's actually trying to communicate a, 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 a message of passion and compassion. That I'm actually going to care for people, exercising oversight. Like I really care for that person and I want to make sure that they don't get off track again. I want to make sure that they walk with God and they know who God is. I'm going to exercise oversight not to dominate and not to, to rule with an iron fist, but I'm going to care for that other person. Now, there's five times that this one word is used in the New Testament. I looked at each one of those times this past week. And one of those times is whenever Paul is counseling young pastor Titus. And he talks to him and he says this phrase to him. He says, I want you as an overseer, as God's steward. He has a phrase in there. Because what, what, what the translation is trying to do is trying to show you it's not just an overseer crack a whip, top down, command and control. It's not that at all. It's being a steward. Moms and dads, guess what? You steward your children. You steward them. You, 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 aren't, you will not be the reason your kids are successful. Neither will you be the reason your children don't succeed if they don't succeed. You are a steward of them. You can corral them and point them and help them set boundaries and help them, you know, meet goals and, and, and help them and help them and help them, but you can't live their life for them. And you can try to crack a whip and you can try to make them become compliant to that. And, you know, there's, there's obviously room for discipline and boundaries in the home. I'm all for that. But here's the point. All you can do is oversee and steward like young Titus is going to do with his young congregation. Another time it's used. It's whenever uh, uh, in the writer of Hebrews makes this statement, see to it. The word there is, again, that word episkamos. And it's used this word here that is the idea of overseer again, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Make sure oversee that no one misses out on the grace of God. What a beautiful statement that is. Make sure that your friends don't miss out on the grace of God. Make sure your children don't miss out on the grace of God. Make sure that the next generation doesn't miss out on the grace of God. Why are we going to do this hope in action thing or hope in WA day? Is it because we want to take a Saturday away from you on October 1st? No, not at all. It's because we care for children out there who don't have moms and dads that are going to love them because we want to make sure as overseers of the grace of God that we have this box. Just imagine with me here, this box. We have this box and call it inside that box, call it God's grace. And I want to make sure every child gets some of God's grace. I want to make sure that every one of my work associates gets some of God's grace. And so what we are as overseers is we need to care boldly for those around us to make sure that no child is left behind, to, jo- the, the, to borrow from George Bush. I, I want to make sure no child misses out on the grace of God. An example of Paul and his own ministry when he had his, pretty much his philosophy of ministry. And I love it. Uh, Leodra, our children's pastor, was sharing this with me this past week and and it's really her goal in the children's ministry. And she says this, it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, notice, now notice all the focus is on you, okay? It's not on me, it's on you. 
He says, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We delighted to share with you. You, 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 you. Whenever we live an externally focused faith, we're going to care about you and you and you and you and you. And I want to make sure, oh, I don't want to make sure you don't miss out on the grace of God. It's not just what did I get out of church. It's what did I bring to you? How did I help you get the grace of God? Now notice this. We cared for you. We loved you. We delighted. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a deep emotional sense of connection with you. I, I wanted to make sure that you got the gospel. I wanted to make sure that you even got our lives. We're giving our lives. Here's the point of this. Don't miss this. If we're going to care boldly for people that we're influencing, you don't dial that in. You don't just become a warm body in a cold spot. You realize that I'm giving them my life. I'm giving them myself because I care, I love, and I delight in you. And I don't want you to miss out on the grace of God. I'm an overseer of the grace of God. I don't want you to miss it. That's the beautiful thing. I don't don't want you to miss what happened last week. Maybe it didn't happen in this service. I can't remember what service it actually happened in. But I don't want you to miss Holly Meehan. And what happened last week with Kinley, her and Kinley Blue? Now, just to give you a little bit of the backstory, Holly baptized uh, uh, Kinley last week. Holly and Kinley aren't related. Holly is her Sunday school teacher. But you've got to understand the backstory. Because Holly has been with Kinley in this kind of relationship role since she was in second grade. They've been teaching this, let's put it like this, been teaching the same kids since second grade. So you take second grade, third grade, fourth grade, now fifth grade. She, along with, um, with Dan and Debbie McElroy, they, all, all, they team teach. They take a week. and the other one takes a week. They take a week. And, and all of a sudden, Kinley's ready to get baptized. And she says to Holly, Holly, would you baptize me? Again, very uncommon. Most of the time, it might be a mom, a dad. It might be a, it might be a pastor or something like that. But, but a Sunday school teacher? Really? What's all that about? Well, come to find out that Holly just talks about how she just goes in. She just loves on the kids and she just spends time with the kids and she doesn't just dial it in. She, she's there. She's very present. She talked about how she and Kenley and Dave, all, they all went on a hike out in the Hobbs estate whenever she found out she wanted her to baptize her. They all sat under a tree and they all shared Bible verses. Listen, this is not Sunday morning. I got one hour and that's all you get from me. This is my life. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm sharing my life because I care for you. I delight in you and I love you. This is not dialing it in. She gives herself. Dave gives himself to this relationship. Takes him out on the boat. Takes him, uh, dresses, does all this stuff with him because they value, they delight, they love the kids that God has given them to influence. Who are you influencing? You care boldly for them. Number two. They live exemplary lives. If we live an exemplary kind of life, it will be one of those that we're not afraid for our kids to model our behavior. I won't ask for a show of hands on this one because I would have to raise my hand. How many of y'all, your kids have said something when they're younger and you turn to them quickly and you say, where did you hear that? And they say, you. All right. Now that's a that's an embarrassing come to Jesus kind of moment, okay? Uh, and, and I've had a few of those myself. 
But uh, he, he brings out in, chapter, in this chapter, he says, listen, you're not going to do this because of compulsion. You're not going to do this because uh, you want to get gain. You're not going to do this because you want to domineer. It's not compulsion. It's not corruption. It's not control. He says, what you're doing this for is so that you could be an example. Be an example. Be a visual manifestation of who Christ is. I like and I'm challenged by the statement that Paul made not once, twice, not three, three different times. And then also it says in the book of Hebrews, he says, I urge you then be imitators of me. Is, is, is he like some ego guy here? Why is Paul saying be imitators of me? He gives it again in verse, chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says it again in 1 Thessalonians. You become imitators of us and of the Lord. What is this that he's saying be imitators of me? He's not saying he's perfect. Paul, oh my gosh, you look at Paul's letters and you see all of his confession. You see Paul struggle with wanting to do what he doesn't want to do and doing what he doesn't want to do. He's struggling in there. He, he, he struggles. He's just like us. But here's what Paul is. He's broken and he's willing to live broken before people, imperfect before people, but not live with any unconfessed sin in his life not holding back and stowing something away. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 says, be like those who stay the course with committed faith. Be like those. Points at other people. Look like them. Imitate them. See, here's a life principle for you. If you have never heard me say it, you'll hear me say it today. You'll hear me say it again later on some other time. Just hang around. And that, that is that we, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. You can tell your kids all day long, you're going to do it this way. You can tell your work social all day long, you're going to do it this way. But in reality, they're going to watch you and they're going to imitate you. You walk up to the movie ticket counter and you say, you know what? You look young enough, I could save a buck 50. You're now 11 and not 13. You know what you just told your kid? You just sold your character for a buck 50. I can remember whenever our kids were a lot younger, We'd look for advertisements on sides of buildings and newspapers. We'd talk to the friends. We'd network where kids eat free night. How many of y'all do that? And you go where kids eat free. All right, what are we eating tonight? Well, where, who's, who's serving it up free tonight for a free meal? And then you get, you get up there and your kids get, get a little older. And just before they get to that, they, they cut that cut off. Right before they start eating everything in the house, then they cut off the kids eat free thing. And so you go up to the counter and you're like, okay, you're 12, and then you're 13, yeah, okay. You, you kind of pass the line. This happened to me. We're at this restaurant. And it's like, they didn't ask. We just, okay, my kids ate free. One of them was too old to eat free. Hey, but they didn't ask. It's on them, right? But my kid was old enough to know. What I did is I sold my character for a free meal. We are influencing. We are shepherding. And it's our example that we live before others that is the greatest testimony of who we are. Can you look at those in your family and if they knew if they knew the secrets that were on this little thing right here, 
would, would, would you want them to imitate you? If they knew the secrets of, of your dating life, of your business ethics, would you want them to follow you? Think about it. Also lead gently. Care boldly. Live exemplary. Care, uh, excuse me, lead gently. He turns the page and he turns and he looks at the younger people, the people who are being mentored or have protégés. And he turns to them and he says, to them in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. But then he comes back around and he, he brings it back to everyone. Clothe yourselves, all, all of you, with humility toward one another. He goes on to talk about God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Notice the times that he says in this humble humility, humble humility. And that phrase right there, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't skip over that one, baby. That one is a big one. Because literally, you look at that word oppose, it's a war term. You want God fighting against you? Listen, you don't have a snowball's chance in a hot place if you've got God fighting against you. That means basically that whenever you're an arrogant person or you're a little little too overconfident, a little too big for your britches or or whatever you want to say there, and and you think, okay, I don't have to humble myself because I'm the king of this hill, because I'm the boss of this house or because I'm the whatever. Listen, you're putting yourself in a position to be knocked down a few inches or maybe flat on your face. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he'll raise you up. It's not our job to promote ourselves. It's our job to humble ourselves and let God promote her. You need to maybe write that down and say it to yourself again. It's not my job to promote myself. It's my job to humble myself and let God promote me. The way I'm going to lead well in my family, the way I'm going to lead well here at the church, the way I'm going to lead well in my class, the way I'm going to lead well on my team, the way I'm going to lead well at school, the way I'm going to lead well at work is whenever I lead gently, not arrogant, boldly, brashly. Tell you the story of Kayla Crow. Uh, Sweet lady, Kevin Crow's wife, definitely the better half of the two. Kayla, sweet nurse practitioner, just going to give of her time, volunteers in the, in the student ministry and uh, steps up her game last year, decides she's going to step in with the seventh grade girls. Lots going on inside of a seventh grade girl. So she steps up and steps into their little circle and tries to befriend them and try to win them over. And they pretty much go diva on her. And she introduces herself, hey, I'm going to be your small group leader, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's good. And they walk away from her. They leave her standing there. All right, deuces, I'm out of here, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of feel. And so she, they, they kind of go through this experience. And Kayla could have just he said, okay, Kevin, it's all yours. I would have been that way. But she stayed in there. She stayed in there. For the next 
nine, ten months and went to youth camp with them this year and had the beautiful opportunity to lead one of those little divas, Kenzie Derryberry, who was in our first service, to the Lord and was baptized just last week. Because what does she do? She clothed herself in humility. Kenzie had to clothe herself in humility. And when they both clothed themselves in humility, what does that mean? What does it mean to clothe oneself in humility? Think about this. Some people have asked me, you just got back from Boston. Are you just now a Boston fan? No, I've been a Boston fan, thank you, for a long time. And and I'm wearing this, and hopefully when I put this jersey on, you see from a distance, oh, he must like, he must like, like the Red Sox. Well, hopefully we're all going to wrap ourselves in humility. So the first thing someone sees is the most disarming attitude and posture you can have in life. It's not some fake humility. I'm not talking about bad posture. But what they see is this humble servant, this Kayla Crow, who will put up with a bunch of junk just to love on you some more. You want to influence people? Wrap yourself in humility and go at them. Don't don't bow up and go at them. Go at them with humility and watch what God will do. Who's the most valuable people in this church? It's not the person who's the most visible. It's not me. It's the people who are pouring in to other people. The people who are influencing other people. Because when the chief shepherd comes, it says in verse 4, and the chief shepherd is Jesus, and he's going to come again. And when he appears again, there's going to be a second coming. And we're going to sing about this Jesus and Christ alone. And we're going to sing about this second coming here in just a moment. But I want you to understand that when he comes, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. It says you've invested in other people, as you've influenced other people in the faith and up in the faith, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. I don't know what that's going to be. But whatever God has created and done so far has been pretty, absolutely incredible. And I don't think we're going to be disappointed. Who are you investing in? Who are you influencing? Who are you pouring yourself into? Who are you shepherding? Are you doing it as an example? Are you doing it with a bold caringness about you? And are you doing it humbly? Would you bow your heads with me? The call on all of us today whether we're leading or being led is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. After we have humbled ourselves is to take that humility that we have been wrapped in and to go out and to influence and to shepherd and to lead by example by a caring boldness about us, other people. And some of those people you're sitting next to right now. And some of those, you you need to rise up and take on a role, take on a place, take on a, an area where you're going to love and care and, and earn that crown. I don't know where you're at right now in your walk with God. But it's not about me, myself, and I. It may be about starts with you and you coming to faith in Christ and 
you deciding you're going to go with him. And if you've never done that today, I pray right where you're at, you'll just say, right, right now, just say, dear God, I give myself to you, for you, forever, ever and ever. I am yours, God. Just tell him in your own words. But it's so that you can also help others, influence others, shepherd others into a deeper walk with him. Father, you know who we are. You know where we are. You know what we're holding on to. You know what's holding us back. Lord, would you work in each and every one of us and help us to see the people, the one, the two, the three, the six, the however many, Lord, people that we get to speak into their lives, get to influence and help us to take on our shepherding role, our influencing role, so that, Lord, we may influence them up into a greater relationship with you. Thank you for the Hollies and the Daves, the Debs and the Dans. Thank you for the Kalas that make up this room right now, that make up our church, because every single one of them is a part of your body And every single one of them has a part to play in your kingdom. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?